Okay. Hello everyone. How are you guys doing? Well, I'm very excited to be here um, to talk to you guys about Romans 12, Romans chapter 8 from verse 12 um, through um, 17. Uh, I want to thank Pastor Jordan for giving me the opportunity to speak before you. I, I was just thinking back when the last time I stood before a large crowd like this, that was way back in school during my um, dissertation defense. So it's been a while, so maybe rusty tonight, but um, I pray that you guys will be used of God and through me as we, as we um, research and look into the word of God tonight. Um, as uh, Pastor Jordan said, um, my name is Kachi Achalem. As you can tell, I have an accent, so I'm originally from Nigeria. Um, somewhere in Africa, if you guys know where that is. And um, I'm married to my wife, Amara. Uh, we have um, four children. Um, the oldest being Chikama, and Jordan also mentioned about. Then we have Chizara, and Chinedo, and Chibike, and the youngest is um, going to be 10 months old this, uh, this month. Um, so I'm also a, a member of Grace Church, and I think I understand there are four churches from this network. So really excited to be here to see all your faces. And um, let's get into um, our topic tonight. Um, our reference text, as I said, it's Romans 8 from verse 12 through 17. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Bible. So Romans verse 8, chapter 8 from verse 12. So then, brethren, we are, not, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit... You are putting to death the deeds of the body. You will live. Verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery, leading to fear again. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this opportunity um, to gather at the throne of grace. Lord, we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will come, open our minds, and help us to see the truth of your word. We pray, O Lord, that um, your word will go out and accomplish that which you desire for it, which is to um, convert and re uh, reform hearts and draw hearts unto you. We pray, Lord, that... Um, you will make this happen tonight, that um, this, um, this audience and the youth in this audience, oh Lord, that will, will be drawn to you, and that your Holy Spirit will open up all our minds to see the 
truth of your word this day. For in Jesus' name we have prayed. Alright, our text today, uh, it shows the, if you look at what I just read, it shows the doctrine of the Trinity as a matter of life, um, focusing particularly on the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, um, from Romans, the Romans um, chapter we just read, um, demonstrates um, how the triune God is involved with practical issues of the human life. Um, that includes how we, how can we possibly live a vital and fruitful life? How can we discover who we really are? How can we relate to a holy God? How can we deal with sufferings and how can we face an uncertain future? So let's break it down by taking the two, the first two verses, um, which is verses 12 through 13. So then, brethren, we are under no obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, we must die. But if we live, if, if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So you, you can see here Paul is contrasting and comparing two different groups. The first group being those that live according to the flesh. And second group, he's talking about here, those who live according to the Spirit. For the first group, those who are living according to the flesh, um, they, they, this is the distinct group of people that who are in the flesh, who are in Adam, those who live according to the flesh as a lifestyle. And we see what the, the end result will be for those people. It says they must die an eternal death. So yeah, that phrase, must die, it um, means eternal death is certain. So if, something, if someone says something must happen, and is sharing it with um, an absolute certainty. And um, Paul is also saying that a person whose life is characterized by things of the flesh is not a true Christian unless that person comes to Christ in faith. And that person, if they continue in their way of the flesh, um, they, they will die the second death under the God's final judgment. So let's contrast that with the Christian or the person who, the group that God has um, redeemed, who is walking in the spirit. So for that group, um, walking according to the spirit, here he he shows us our obligation to the spirit. Looking at verse eight, chapter eight, verse thirteen. That if by the spirit you are putting to death the deed of the body, you will live. So contrasting the group of people who are living in the flesh with the, people, uh, the group of people living by the spirit, you see um, two radical different um, results. So how is the believer or the Christian able to? Um, live according to um, by the Spirit. Um, they, they can't do that on, by themselves. The, the capacity to be able to live um, according to God's word is, as, as the passage there says, is because of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit gives us that resource. The Holy Spirit gives us that capacity 
to obey God's words, to put the deeds, as Paul puts it, put the deeds of the body to death. And why is the Christian required to do that? Because Christ has paid the, the, the price um, for um, with his life on the cross. So it's it's Christ who um, made that possible. The Holy Spirit secures it. It also contains a promise that if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So Paul is pointing to the future. He says the believer is characterized by putting the deaths, putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, and he will preserve and possess forever the fullness of life given to him by Christ. So as Christian, we do not owe anything to the flesh, and we are not under any obligation to fulfill the loss of our fallen nature. Unlike those who are unregenerated, those who are living in sin, those who are living um, under the um, the cause of the flesh. And why is this important? Because the unregenerated person, the unbelievers, they they do not they are not working under the spirit of God. They are uh, they don't have that capacity who which the group. Um, that are under the Spirit because the Spirit is empowering you to do that. So, the, the Holy Spirit causes that transformation in you. He changes us. He enables us to overcome the flesh. So, overcoming the flesh is not something you are able to achieve on your own. It's not something you are able to do by your own human power or your willpower. I mean, if even if you try that, you do it for a couple of days and it will revert back to your nature. So it's the Holy Spirit of God that helps the Christian to be able to live according to um, the God's standard, which is um, God's standard, which is living according to the, the template or the example that Christ has set for us. Um, So back in Romans 7, 18, um, we see that the flesh cannot please God. Um, if I can just read that. Romans 7, verse 18. It says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing, for the willing is, in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. So, even Paul is himself is saying that. Um, so, being able to live according to God's standard, being able to do God, keep God's commandments, it's um, being you, you get that power, you get that capacity, you get that resource from the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells you. That power of the Holy Spirit allows you to overcome sin. And um, with the Spirit of God comes the power of God, mighty enough to pull down strongholds and give you victory over flesh. Um, so if we... Also, verse 9 um, reminds us that every Christian possesses the spirit. So every Christian who has 
walks or who is walking in Christ has that Holy Spirit in him. Uh, if you look at verse 9, it says, verse 9 reminds us that every Christian possesses the Spirit. You, however, are not in the flesh, but the Spirit, if in fact God indwells in you. So those who are His, they have that Spirit. And because we have that Spirit, we have that capacity to kill sin in our lives. The power of victory over sin is through the Holy Spirit. If we were not transformed and changed so that the Spirit of God dwells in us, we would never be able to overcome the flesh. It's, it's, um, it's not something you are able to do by your own power. It's something that the Holy Spirit of God enables you to do. So verse the, the verses that I think was covered by Jeff last night, so from verse 5 through 11, or maybe by Roger, I'm not sure who, it tells us the need, why we need needed transformation. I think whoever covered it must have told you about the transformation that happened from verse, chapter 8 from verse 9, 5 through 11. And once we've been transformed, so that the life within us is now the life of God in the presence of his indwelling spirit, we now have the power to overcome the flesh. This is such great news. Um, we go next to the next verse, which is um, um, verse 14. I'll read that again. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So, one of the confirmation of um, a believer or a Christian um, being of God is your, your spirit, you're being led by the Spirit of God. So if you look at your life and you see the Spirit of God leading you, then you can be sure, that's one of the assurances, you, you can be sure that you, you belong to God because God gives, only, gives His Spirit to only His children. Um, the unbeliever, first of all, doesn't believe in God. So they don't have that spirit that is leading them towards doing what is right in the sight of God. That doesn't mean you won't have doubt. So if you have doubts about whether you are truly a Christian or not, which can happen to any Christian at any stage in their, in their walk with, God, in, with Christ, one thing to do is to ask yourself if you have that sense of God um, leading you in your life, even though you're not always responding to what you should. So, the verse 1, which carries the theme of the whole chapter, which says, um, chapter, um, chapter 8, verse 1, uh, let me just read that. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So, it's, it means all of us um, whether you're a Christian or not, before you were a Christian, you, we are all condemned. So, like, like, use an example of our, our society today. You are, you are like a condemned person just waiting um, execution. So the difference between you, a Christian, and an unbeliever is Christ's death on the cross paid that price for you so that you, you are now in our society, you, you'll be pardoned and your sins are forgiven. You don't, you don't, it's not something you do to merit that pardon. So Christ's 
um, death on the cross gives us, covers up our sins so that we are no longer under the condemnation that, um, that Paul is referring in, in chapter 8, verse 1. So we have a no condemnation status as a Christian and as a follower of God. Um, so the evidence that God, the, the Spirit of God is leading you is you will continually be putting to death the deeds of the body. That evidence will lead you away from sin. And if you see the victory of sin over your life, then you sin it because the Spirit of God is there leading you, which is what chapter 14 is telling us. And because the Spirit of the Lord is leading you, then you, you are um, called the children of the sons of God. And, and therefore, you are a child of God. We don't, we don't always follow the Spirit of God the way we ought to, but a believer can sense in his life the leading of the Spirit of God. I uh, put a reference here, Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, which I think most of us are familiar with. Trust in the Lord with all your hearts and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. So how does the Spirit of the Lord or the Spirit of God lead us? Um, when I was in my time of preparing for this, I listened to some of um, um, the pastor, John MacArthur. I think some of you know him, of Grace, Grace to You program. He, he enumerated two examples, two ways for a Christian or a believer to know that the Lord is leading them. One of those ways is the illumination of the word. So that basically means spending time in the, in, the, in the word of God. That's how you know what God has for you or what God wants to communicate to you. It's all in the Bible that each of you um, have in your hands. So as, as the word is read, which is the Bible, as God is, as the Word of God is studied, as we meditate on it, um, day and night, the Spirit of God opens our minds, opens our hearts, that we may understand. This is the teach, um, teaching ministry of, of the Holy Spirit. So, if you want to know someone or get to know someone, you go talk to the person right in our daily. Um, interactions with our normal human interactions. If you are meeting me for the first time and we don't exchange any greetings, there's no way you know who I am truly. I mean, you can hear some stories about me, um, but if you want to know more about me and if I wanted to know more about you, what you like, what makes you tick, then I'll get to spend time with you. I'll get to talk to you. I get to um, um, hang out with you. It's same with the same with our work with God. If we wanted to know um, how how God is leading us, if God is leading us, if the Spirit of God is leading us, it's all there in the in the, in, in the Bibles that you have. We spend the time, meditate on the Word, ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Um, he will 
direct your path as was mentioned already in, in, uh, in Proverbs um, 3. The second way is through sanctification. Once you are aware and you have spent your time meditating on the Word of God, then those knowledge you have, um, the Holy Spirit will allow you to apply those words, apply that knowledge in your life for you to start seeing spiritual growth. So, again, you get to know the person in our normal interactions with one another. You get to spend time with the person. Then that's how you, you gain more knowledge. Then you apply that, spend time with that person. Same with the, um, the Word of God. You, you know that the Lord is leading you. You know what the God, what God has to say about you or what God ha- has to say about himself by spending time on his word. And once you do that, the Holy Spirit helps you to um, understand what... Because sometimes reading the Bible is not very easy. So we ask the Lord to help us. That's the, the, work, the principal work of the Holy Spirit, to help us, to guide us, to understand what the, what the um, God is telling us. And another exact way to know is through sanctification. So you, by spending that time meditating on the Word of God, you begin to bear the fruits that was mentioned in um, the fruit of the Spirit that is mentioned in, um, in Galatians 5.22. The Holy Spirit um, stirs your heart, activates the will of the believer, and he produces the fruit of the Spirit to the believer. In, through the believer's heart. And when you do those things that you are, that, um, when you do those things, you are not in the, uh, you are walking in obedience and you will be confirmed. Uh, that's the confirmation that the Spirit of God is leading you. So, as I said, not everybody does this perfectly. Um, so sometimes Christians fall into doubt and they are not sure what, whether the Lord is leading them or not. They, are, they have doubts. This is why we have exhortations. If you see Paul's letter to different churches, he's always telling them, therefore do this or therefore do that. It's a way to redirect you and refocus you to, um, to the source of where you should get um, information about about God and um, encouraging us in the right direction. Um, moving along, we go to verse 15. Um, for you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. So, what Paul is telling us here is that we are no longer slaves to sin. You know, we've, we've been led by the Spirit of God. We, we have this, as Christians, I'm talking now as Christians, we've been led by the Spirit of God. Um, the Spirit of God endures us. He gives us the capacity to continually kill the deeds of the flesh, to put it to death the deeds of the flesh. And as um, the... Um, and so Christians are no longer slaves to sin, but we are adopted as sons into God's family. Um, the Spirit cries out within them, telling um, to them that God is their Father. So Abba 
this um, an Aramaic word um, for father, the, for the Jews. That's how they refer to father. And it's not just a casual name for father. It's, it connotes deep intimacy and one fellowship when that word is used. Um, so we, we, Paul uses this term likely because when Jesus... Um, was praying to God in his most vulnerable moments uh, at the um, Garden of Gethsemane in Mark 14, 36. Um, he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not that I will, but your will. So, the privilege of using the word Abba, Father, denotes that you already have that personal relationship with him. Again, that personal relationship, spending time in his word, having the Holy Spirit indwell you, then you you as a Christian, you can cry out to God um, and you are adopted into his into his family. So the the story of adoption is one of the um, best news for Christians and um, it's even the natural or human adoption, it's, it's a, a, love, a word filled with love, filled with mercy, and filled with grace. So a, a simple definition for adoption is, you know, someone who is, um, um, who a legal action whereby a person is taken to family, usually not in any way related to, to him. So you are not, we are not part of that family and you are taken into that family and given all the rights and privileges as a member of that family. So that's what um, Jesus did for us um, Christians on the, on the cross. Formerly, we are, in chapter 1, it says no, um, we are no longer under um, con- condemnation. Before that, we were all sinners, outcasts, separated from God. But with the death of Jesus Christ, for those who are called into his family, they get that privilege to be adopted into God's family. And the amazing thing is, they get the same privileges as Jesus Christ, just as the, um, the story of um, adoption. When one of the earliest records, if you recall, of adoption in the Bible was about Moses. You all know how he was born in a very uh, perilous time where Jewish children, uh, male children, were being murdered. So God, through his mother and sister, um, sovereignly came up with a plan to, to save him. So um, was, um, long story short, adopted by Pharaoh's um, daughter and brought into Pharaoh's um, family and given all the rights and privileges of a king's son. So, and that was God preparing Moses for the work ahead because eventually Moses was used to rescue the people of Israel out of um, bondage. So that's what a picture of adoption looks like. Um, For those who are saved, they have also received that spirit of adoption. They have been made children of God so formerly unworthy people, which is every one of us, I am having brought in as sons of God. Um, and who makes that possible? That's 
the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that gives us the no condemnation status. The Holy Spirit confirms and affirms and secures our no condemnation status by giving us that assurance that we are children of God, sons of God, and Christ provided it and the Holy Spirit secures it. So I'm also just looking at the adoption in general. The adoption is historically a Roman idea, and I think that's why Paul uses it as a metaphor to describe the relationship between the believer and God. So in the Roman um, adoption system, four things we are consequential for the adoption. The first one, the adopted person lost all the relationship to his or her old family, and he gained the rights of his new family. So that sounds like the story of salvation. You know, we are formerly in, in the darkness um, through salvation, through believing in the word of God or believing in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We are adopted into God's family. Not just adopted into God's family, we are given the rights and privileges of Christ. In, in, in that God's new family. Second thing about uh, the Roman adoption system is that the new adoptee becomes heir to the new father's estate. So if the new father had biological children, the adopted child also gets the same privileges and the same rights as those that were naturally born into those families. Again, that's the, the marvelous um, thing about adoption, both in spiritual adoption for Christians and even in the physical adoption, human adoption that we practice um, every day in our society. The third thing about um, the Roman adoption is um, the former life of the adopted person was completely wiped out. So you remember before you came to Christ or before you accepted Christ, you had everybody was under that um, under that eternal separation from God. So that was a heavy debt, and the penalty was for that was um, was death. So all the legal debt of an adopted person is cancelled. So by the blood, broken body of Christ, and His blood that was spilled on the cross of Calvary, our sins are forgiven by the Father. The adopted person is given a new name, and he, he, as if he has just been born, which similar again to salvation, you become born again, you're a new creation in Christ, you, you have new privileges, just as Jesus Christ, uh, who, who did the miraculous work for us. The, the fourth thing about it is, in the eyes of the law, the adopted person was literally and absolutely the son of his new father. So when we are adopted into God's family, all the things, all these things took place. Our, we cut the cord with our past, our past sinful life, because the Holy Spirit is enabling us to keep and um, follow the precepts and the commandments of God. We become co heirs to God's kingdom. Who, um, the same rights and privileges um, that Christ has 
is given to all the adopted children. All the old debts are wiped away, your sins are forgiven, and you are absolutely and legally the children of God. So in addition to being adopted into God's new family, um, the new believers are regenerated, reborn into God's kingdom. Um, So adoption and regeneration, two terms, are two ways that God brings children into his kingdom or brings kingdom into his family. So adoption gives us the title of inheritance and the names of sons. Uh, Regeneration gives us the nature of sons and gives us the fitness that inherit of that inheritance. Both are very important. Um, if we keep going to verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Um, looking at um, also one of my resources for preparing for this was Arusi's post commentary on, on Romans. So he, he said, and I quote, in the final analysis, our assurance of salvation is not a logical deduction springing from our theology. Our assurance is certainly not based on a careful analysis of our behavior. Our assurance, our final assurance comes from the testimony of God, the Holy Spirit who bears witness and through our spirits that we are children of God. So the spirit of God in you that indwells you is testifying with your own spirit that you are cho- you are children of God and that's important because um, the chief thing that the devil tries to do or use against believers is to try to convince them that God doesn't care about you you are not one of his own you are you remember your try to remind you of your old life but part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to be there to testify that you have been bought, you have been redeemed, you have been saved, that all those old things have passed away. And he gives you that capacity to continually kill the, the flesh, as we already mentioned in, in chapter 14. I'm oh, sorry, chapter 13. So Paul is not um, falling into some kind of Gnostic mysticism here. He's talking about the spirit of God confirms the truth um, to our own human spirit. So we need to understand that the spirit spirit communicates to God's people. He communicates to them by word, with the word and through the word. Again, how you get, you remember how you get to know God is by spending time and studying his word. So likewise, how the um, Holy Spirit testifies it's to you is through, his, through the Word of God. Once you, when you study the Word of God and communicates all that through the Word of God. So if you are not spending time in the Word of God, then you are not, you are not getting all this and you are not, you are kind of, you are not sure that's when all those doubts come in as a Christian. So the testimony we receive from the Holy Spirit comes in and through the Word, and the Word of God is all contained in the Bible that we all have in our hands. So if we lack assurance and we want our hearts to be at peace, we must go to the Word. So that cannot be overemphasized. 
because the Spirit confirms His truths to us in and through the Word. If we want to be led by the Spirit of God, we must immerse ourselves in the Spirit-inspired Word of God. <coughs> we are called to testify the Spirit to. We are called to test the Spirit to make sure that the Spirit who is leading us is the Holy Spirit. So that's that is contained in First John four verse one. Because not everybody who says they are led by the Spirit or or it's telling the truth. So First John four one warns us about that. Tells us, behold, do not believe any spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So the only test we can apply is the test of the word itself. So what is the what is the word of God saying about those doubts that we have? What is the um, word of God saying about our concerns? What is the word of God saying about what God wants us to know? You only know that when you spend your time studying the word of God in your personal devotion or in your family devotion. But if we are not doing that, then we are missing a big part of um, what will keep us going as Christians, what will keep us that fire in us to keep burning. We will lose, we will lose that torch and, and um, um, can fall into the prayer of the many false prophets that First John 4 one is talking about. So as you walk in, in obedience, as you keep his commandments, um, your heart um, does not condemn you. So even as the devil comes out and reminds you of your past, as long as you know you are in obedience, you're keeping his commandments, you're um, studying the word of God, you are, you are not being, you are not, your heart will not condemn you. You can say, I'm not condemned. I'm not in, I'm in a no condemnation status, which um, verse 1 again of chapter 8. You know that you are living the, in truth. You are, you are obeying not only in word and tongue, but in deed and in truth. And as you walk down that path, your heart um, will, will not condemn you. And by your faithfulness and your obedience, you will know that you are abiding in him and the spirit of God abides in you. So it is the Holy Spirit's work to assure us of our no condemnation status. As already said in verse 4, by affirming that we have not been adopted as, by affirming that we have been adopted as children of God. So lastly, we talk about verse 17. Verse 17 says, And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may be glorified with him. So, what Paul is trying to let us know is here that we have already covered some of it earlier was to tell us that because God has um, that's as Christians, you have been adopted into the family of God. You are now co-heirs with Christ. So all that the Father gives, 
will ever give to his only begotten son, which is Jesus Christ, he has also given to us his adopted children for those who are in Christ. So no matter this, your situation in life, we have a guaranteed future so glorious that we can't imagine it. So can you imagine what being a co-heir heir with Christ is? So that's what Christ has done for us. That's what the Holy Spirit continually um, reassures us of. And, you, and by studying your Bible, by spending time in the Word, you, 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 the Holy Spirit will keep leading you and you keep killing the deeds of the flesh as mentioned in 12 and 13. So, what is... Another question someone may ask is, what is the inheritance we have with, with, with Christ? So that inheritance is to be glorified with him, which is in uh, the last part of that we may also be glorified with him, which is the last part of verse 17. So what a difference that makes in our daily life, if we believe it. It will transform the way we deal with suffering. So we know we live in a fallen world. We are all... Um, um, we, we live in a fallen world and suffering will surely come um, but if we are children of God inseparably united to the Father through the work of the Son and the Spirit our suffering takes, a, takes on a whole new character now it's part of our union with Christ so let's look at the extent of this inheritance. Just how extensive is it? So it is extensive that we are fellow heirs with Christ. And again, highlighting the Roman culture, equal inheritance. What? That's a big deal. Um, so everything that will be Christ will also be ours. Well, but some might say, why will... Why will Will Christ not be upset sharing um, his inheritance with us? Um, he did a lot to gain that inheritance on the cross. Why should he? Why should he hand it freely to us? Is this a disappointment to Christ that the Father would be so generous with unworthy folks like us? Well, let's. Look at what Jesus Christ himself said in John chapter 17, verse 22. So when that, was, that was when Jesus was praying for, his, um, for all his followers, both the present um, disciples and the future followers. He said in verse, John 17, verse 22, he says, The glory which you have given me, I have given them, that we may be one just as we are one. So as you can see, Jesus shares his glory with us without any reluctance. So that's um, being glorified with Christ in the last part of chapter 17. Jesus is doing that for us. God has adopted us into his family. Um, we are co-heirs with Christ. Um, the Holy Spirit indwelling in us confirms and secures that with our spirit. So the greatness of this inheritance is, is absolutely staggering. So it's, it's by grace, not by human works. It's 
by the sovereign work of God and not by any human effort. You can't walk your way to adopt, being adopted into God's family. It's not something um, you set goals to achieve. God himself initiates that. God himself carries it out. Holy Spirit works to, to confirm it. Christ already did it on the cross. So you, uh, all you need to do is to believe believe and God adopts you into his family. So it's, it's not something we, you can humanly achieve by yourself. So that's why we need the Holy Spirit to, to be able to help us to do that. So it's a covenant from God and from what we know about God, he, two things at least, he cannot lie and um, he cannot change. So once God's word goes out, it's constant, you can trust it, it's, it's fixed. He, he, he says those who he has called into his family, those who he has adopted, will be co-heirs with Christ. So we can take that to the bank. The inheritance is not lessened, again, by dividing it among many inheritors, because the supply of God is infinite. So infinite glory, it's glorious and it's comprehensive and it is secure. So we need to understand this because the world is um, filled with trouble. It's the nature of the fallen world and fallen and, and the fallen people. And if you are going to be bold and live for Christ and live godly, we will suffer persecution to one degree or the other. So that's, if we go back to verse 17, it, it's Paul is highlighting that, that if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So there's going to, if you're, the, because the world is hostile to the children of God, so you're going to suffer some kind of persecution for standing up to your faith. I mean, I know it's difficult start comparing persecutions around the world, it's probably less here, but nevertheless, there's still persecution. Some people, across, uh, in some parts of the world, you can't even hold your Bible. It's, um, if, if, if you are seeing that, that could be a death sentence. So, it's, it, it's, what Paul is trying to say here is that even if we suffer persecution, let's not just suffer it for nothing. You suffer it because you are one of Christ, and Christ will honor that, that suffering. So what does that mean also? It's sometimes we will need to experience some discomfort. Um, a godly life will be persecuted to one degree or the other. It may be your own family that are hostile to you. It may be your friends, you know, I know you young guys, you all have the peer pressure stuff going on. And if you have a friend and they are not conforming to that group, they may start, you know, making fun of you. They may start um, mocking your faith. But um, if you stand firm in the, your, your truth, in the, in, sorry, if you stand firm in the truth of the word of God, then, then you are... You are obeying what um, chapter 17 is saying there about 
being persecuted and being able to um, stand firm and defend your faith regardless of the consequences. So you, you ask yourself um, if you are willing to be bold, faithful, clear in your Christian testimony so that no one at all is in the dark about where you stand, willing to speak the truth of Jesus Christ, and if you need, if need be, suffer humiliation and hostility and alienation, and not be bothered by it at all, but rather embrace it as a purpose of God's unfolding, which will yield you, will yield for you an eternal weight of glory. So, that glory that is being talked about, um, you. Will, will be yours because you are suffering um, that persecution because of, of, of your belief or, or, or your faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul is not suggesting that if we don't suffer with Christ that we won't have glory. Not because your, your suffering, if you are ever persecuted, is, doesn't somehow earn you that glory. He's simply saying that our union with Christ by the Holy Spirit will always involve us, um, involve us in some suffering as well as in some glory. So that transforms our suffering. So if I know I'm being persecuted because of Christ and I'm standing firm, I'm, I'm having the Holy Spirit indwell me, helping me to persevere, then that suffering is not for nothing. That suffering will be bringing you glory in Christ, in God's um, family, in God's kingdom. So, we are not alone in a hard world. We are the children of God. And even our suffering is part of the family's heritage and destiny. Uh, we are co-heirs, co-sufferers, and co-glorified ones, knowing that we are united with the triune God changes the way we live our lives. So knowing that your suffering is, you're not suffering for yourself or you're not, because regardless, um, because of the, the fallen world we live in, you, you are gonna face some hard stuff as you, as you live. But if, if that suffering is um, as a result of you being Upholding your uh, upholding the word of God, um, standing firm in your faith, in the midst of mockery, in the midst of um, um, hostility from the unbelievers, then God honors that that suffering. God will glory will will bring into His family and be glorified. Um, so. So some of the uh, applications um, in summary, what we just covered is, is, is shows you how you see the triangle, the Trinity, all playing a part here in our salvation and our adoption. You see God himself sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. You see Jesus Christ dying for our sins, creating a pathway for us formerly condemned people um, having a way to God by believing in his work on the cross. Then you have the Holy Spirit doing the ongoing work of 
indwelling you, helping you to live in a fallen world, helping you and reminding you to, um, to study the God, Word of God, helping you to understand what you're reading, helping you to uh, stand firm in, in, in the face of persecutions. So um, you see that interaction between all three persons in the Trinity. You see how we can possibly live a vital and fruitful life. You see how we can discover who we really are and relate, how we relate to God. So um, Romans 8 is a very um, rich um, resource for a Christian. You see in Romans 7, with the chapter before, telling us how we can, um, um, Paul is telling us how we cannot do this by our own, telling us how um, the fallen people, um, even if you want to do it by yourself, you will fail and fall flat on your face. Um, so we have um, the Holy Spirit to help us. We have um, our Bibles to meditate, and we have um, Jesus Christ meditating and interceding on our behalf to help us to, to live out um, God's word in, in, in our daily life. So I pray um, you, you all took a few notes and, um, and if you have any questions at this point, do we do Q&A? Okay. So if um, we, we can end, end the Okay, so we can end on, um, I've again been really happy to come here and share a few of the um, word of God with you. I hope you guys continue to have fun and um, um, listen to the other speakers too and be richly blessed um, by this um, um, camp. And I thank the TCT for giving me the opportunity to speak to you guys. Let's, let us pray. Father our God, uh, we thank you for your word that has just, been gone for, that has just gone forth. Lord, we pray that uh, you will begin to use your word um, that we just shared to, um, to draw these little hearts to you. We pray, O oh Lord, that... That, they will, that you will redeem them for yourself, that you redeem them for your kingdom, that you will use them mightily in your kingdom. We pray even for ourselves, the adults, that um, you will help us in our work with you, that you help us to study your word, you help the Holy Spirit to help us understand what we study. We pray, O oh Lord, um, for the rest of the, the uh, conference and camp here, that um, all the activities that have been scheduled will go accordingly, and that um, we will have good communion um, we will share good um, stories and, and continually um, be blessed and edified in your word. For in Jesus' name we are praying. Amen.